Chapter Thirteen of Rebel Spurs by Andre Norton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A lantern provided a very small and smoky light on a table of three boards mounted on boxes. If the furniture was makeshift, the walls of the room were not. Logs and adobe were just as effective for purpose of confinement as stone blocks. Drew sat upon a bunk shell of board holding straw, and rested his head between his hands. He could follow the action which had brought him here, trace it back almost minute by minute over the past three days. How he had come here was plain enough. Why was another matter? Lieutenant Spath, back in the Mustangers' camp, might have accepted the Kentuckian story, or he might at least have been uncertain enough not to arrest him if only Trooper Stevens had not been one of the patrol. Once before, Stevens had been most vocal about Rebs who were too free with their fists. Spath's trooper guard reported the escape of running fox and ants had condemned his captive fully as far as the lieutenant was concerned. The troopers had then searched their prisoner, and to them a loaded money belt worn by a drifter did not make good sense either and less too much sense on the wrong side of the ledger. Drearily, Drew had to admit that had he stood in the lieutenant's boots, he would have made exactly the same decision and brought his prisoner back to the camp. So here he was now, just where Bayliss had promised to see him, in an army detention cell, with no proof of identity and the circumstantial evidence against him piling up by the minute. All they needed was some definite proof to tie him to Kitchell, and he was lost. He had to pin his hopes on Ants and on Kazar. Drew ground his boot heel into the dirt floor. That was just about what he had sworn he would never do, call upon Hunt Rennie for help, especially now since the troopers had discovered those army-branded horses back in the canyon and Bayliss would try to use that against Rennie. Ance's escape had been a short-sighted solution, Drew knew. To the captain, such action only tied the range in deeper. The Kentuckian ran his fingers through his hair, trying to think of something which had not gone wrong. The plank door banged open, and Drew's head came up with a snap. No use letting these Yankees think they had him worried. The lantern, feeble as it was, picked out the stripes on the blouse of the first man the tin plate in the hands of the second. Drew looked down at the plate as it was slid under the bars and across the floor of his cell. Stew, Sergeant, ain't that overfeeding? Thought bread and water was more the captain's style for Reb prisoners. Drew was pleased that he was able to sound unconcerned. Cocky one, ain't you? asked the man who had brought in the plate. All you Rebs is alike. Never know when you're licked. Get along, Farley, that's enough, Mueller broke in. Drew picked up the plate and forced himself to spoon up its contents. The stuff was still warm and not too bad. After the second spoonful, he discovered that he was hungry. That much he would not have to pretend. Kid. Sergeant Mueller's bulk shut most of the lantern glow out of the cell. You young squirts all alike never take no advice, but I'm going to give it anyway. When the captain sees you, you button your lip. 
He ain't one as takes kindly to smart talking, especially not from a prisoner. As far as he's concerned, he's got you about dead to rights, horse-thieving from the army. I'd like to know what proof he has, Drew returned sharply. Your patrol picked me up well away from those horses. In the Mustangers' camp, where I was working, and Captain Bayliss can't prove that's not true, either. Anyway, what difference does it make to you, Sergeant? Since you ask, I don't rightly know, kid. Maybe you was spoiling for a fight in the Jacks and did push our boys. But you don't think so, Sergeant. Drew put the plate on the bunk and stood up to approach the bars. Mueller was the taller. The Kentuckian had to raise his eyes to meet the Sergeant's. The trooper's face was mostly in the shadow, but it was plain the man did not mean him any ill. I've got my reasons, Mueller, did not make any straight answer. But you think of what the captain does know about you, kid. You go riding round with gold on you, more money than any drifter ever sees in ten years or more. You're caught near where some stolen army stock is stashed away, and your partner lights out hell for leather breaking through army lines. And we only got your story as to who you really are. I ask you, does that read good in the lieutenant's report when the captain gets it? No, Drew answered. But what do you suggest doing about it, Sergeant? Got anybody in town as will speak up for you? Kirby? Reese Topham? He did before. He doesn't know any more than what he said right then. Trouble is, Sergeant, Anybody I could ask to back me up, I'd have to bring out from Kentucky, and I don't believe Captain Bayliss would wait for that. You work for Rennie, don't you? Hunt Rennie has nothing to do with this. He didn't know those horses were on the range. Because you put them there, Kirby? Mueller made a lightning about face. He snapped to attention, facing the captain. And what are you doing here, Sergeant? Prisoner being fed, sir. Mueller reported stolidly. And there is no need for conversation. Dismiss, Sergeant. The captain watched Mueller leave before he turned once more to Drew. Kirby, do you know the penalty for horse-stealing in this country? He snapped. Yes. Then you must know just what you have to face. Captain, Drew began slowly, wanting to make his words just right. There was no reason to let Bayliss think he could simply ride right over his prisoner. On the other hand, Mueller's advice had been good. It would be dangerous to antagonize the officer. I had nothing to do with those stolen horses. We found them, yes, but they were already in the canyon, and there were two men guarding them up on the ridge. They must have cleared out when your patrol rode in, but they were there the night before. You saw them? No, our scout did. What scout? That Indian who got away with your partner? I heard rumors that Kitchell had links with Bronco Apaches, but I didn't believe any white man could stoop so low. That Indian? Drew felt as if he were walking a very narrow mountain ledge in the dark, with a drop straight down to the middle of the world on one side. Was a Pima, one of the stronghold scouts. So Hunt Rennie did know about those horses, Bayless pounced. He did not. He sent us to the Mustanger camp with a message, and the Pima rode scout for us. It's a regular order on the range. Take one of the Pimas if you're going any distance from where you can fort up. 
You can find out that's true easily enough. Drew was striving to keep a reasonable tone, to find an answer which must pierce through Bayless's rancor. After all, Bayless could not have held his present rank and station so long and been all hot-headed plunger. What was this so important message Rennie had to deliver to a camp of Mex Mustangers? Bayless bored in. Even in the lantern's restricted light, Drew could see the flush darkening the other's face. They're having trouble with a wild stud, a killer. Mr. Rennie wants him killed, quick. He sent two of us out to help. Thought with more hands it could be done. Kirby, Bayless's fists were on his hips. His head pushed forward from his shoulders until his sun-peeled face was only inches away from the bars between them. Do I look like a stupid man, a man to be fed stories? You ride into town on a blooded stud, with a mare of like breeding, and a belt loaded down with gold. You give out that you served with Forrest, Forrest, a looting gorilla and a murdering butcher. You've heard of Fort Pillow, Kirby? That's what decent men remember when anyone says Forrest in their hearing. Only you can't even prove you were one of that gang of raiders either, can you? Now I'll tell you just who and what you are. You're one of Kishel's scavengers coming to town with gold for supplies and a chance to contact the people you want to meet. I've known for a long time that Toppin, Rennie, and probably a dozen or so so-called citizens of that miserable outlaw's roost are backing Kitchell. Now here's a chance to prove it. Not through me, you don't, Drew cut in. I'm just what I said. I was from the beginning. Captain, and you can't prove anything different. I don't have to prove it. You've convicted yourself, Kirby. You can't account for the gold you're carrying. And if you rode with Forrest, where's your parole? You know you were told to carry it. I can deal with you just as any horse thief is dealt with. Why, I'll wager, you can't even prove ownership of those horses you brought with you. Where's your sales papers? On the other hand, Kirby, if you do give us the evidence we need against Kitchell and those who are helping him, the court might be moved to leniency. How old are you? Nineteen twenty? Rather young to hang. Captain, I can prove everything I've told you. In Kentucky I have kin. They can... Kentucky, Bayless snorted. Kentucky is far away, Kirby. Do you expect us to sit around waiting for some mythical kin of yours to appear from Kentucky with another set of lies to open this door? He pounded with one fist against the cell portal. I'm a reasonable man, Kirby, and I'm not asking too much, you know that. What are Kitchell and Rennie, Toppin, to you, that you're willing to face a noose for them? Kitchell I know nothing about except what I've heard, and that's not good. Drew sat down on the bunk, partly because the chill, which had crept down his back and poured into his legs, and they felt oddly weak under him. Reese Topham and Mr. Rennie, as far as I'm concerned, they're honest men. I don't think, Captain, that you can prove I'm not either. There's such thing as overconfidence, Kirby, and it always comes to the fore in your kind, Bayless returned. But after you do some serious thinking, I believe you'll see that this is the one time you're not going to be able to lie or ride yourself out. He left without a backward glance. Drew picked up the plate, pushed the spoon back and forth through the congealing mess left on it. He could not choke down another mouthful. 
Just how much power did Bayliss have? Could he try a civilian by court-martial and get away with it? And to whom could Drew possibly appeal? Topham? Rennie? Apparently Bayliss wanted them enough to suggest Drew testify against them. Did he actually believe Drew guilty, or had that been a subtle invitation to perjury? The Kentuckian set the plate on the floor and got up again to make a minute study of the cell. His thought now was that maybe his only chance would be to break out. But his first appraisal of the detention quarters had been the right one. Given a pickaxe and a shovel, and an uninterrupted period of, say, a week, he might be able to tunnel under one of the log walls. But otherwise, he could not see any other way of getting free, save to walk out through the cell door. Drew threw himself on the bunk and tried to think logically and clearly, but his tired body went over his mind, and he slept. Hey, you, Kirby, wake up. There's someone here to see you. Drew reached for the colt, which was no longer under his pillow, and then rolled over and sat up groggily, rubbing one hand across his smarting eyes. The lantern light had given way to dusty sunshine, one bar of which now caught him straight across the face. All right, Kirby, suppose you tell me what this is all about. Drew's head came up, his head fell. Hunt Rennie and Lieutenant Spath stood side by side beyond the bars. Or rather, not Hunt Rennie, but Don Cazar was there, for the owner of the range was wearing the formal Spanish dress in which Drew had first seen him, and his expression was one of withdrawal. They think that I'm one of Kitchell's men, and that I had something to do with those stolen horses we found on the range. He blurted it out badly. They also showed me about six hundred dollars in gold found on you, Rennie returned. I thought you needed a job. You told Topham that, didn't you? Yes, sir. Drew's bewilderment grew stronger. Hunt Rennie sounded as if he believed part of Bayliss's accusation. The money's rightfully mine, Drew added. You can prove it? Sure, back in Kentucky. Drew paused. Back in Kentucky, proof would not help him here and now in Arizona. Kentucky. Rennie's withdrawal appeared to increase by a score of miles. I understood you were from Texas. Told you, Rennie, the lieutenant said. His story doesn't hold together at all. A couple of really good questions, and it falls right apart. I came here from Texas. Drew took stiff hold of himself. He was walking that narrow ledge again, and with a wind ready to push him off into a bottomless gulf rode with a wagon train as far as Santa Fe, from there on with military supply wagons to Tucson. I was in Kentucky after the war, went home with a boy from my scout company. Who gave you two-blooded horses and a belt full of gold for a goodbye present, scoffed Spath? Have you any proof of what you say closer than Kentucky? Rennie ignored the lieutenant's aside. I can account for your time on the range, or most of it, but you'll have to answer for this money and where you came from originally. What about your surrender parole? I know you did have papers for the horses. Callie saw them. Produce those. I can't. Drew's hands balled in the fists where they rested on his knees. Sure you can't. You never had any, Spath returned. I had them. I don't have them now. What was the use of trying to tell Rennie about his suspicions of Shannon? 
and if Johnny had destroyed the papers as well, he might have. Drew could never make them believe him, anyway. Kirby, this is serious, said Rennie. You ride in from nowhere with two fine horses wearing a brand you say is your own. You have more money than any drifter ever carries. You claim to be a Texan, and yet now you say all the proof of your identity is in Kentucky. And you are not Anson Kirby's cousin, are you? That last question was shot out so suddenly that Drew answered before he thought. No. I thought so, Hunt Rennie nodded. Education is a polisher, but I don't think three or four years of schooling would have made a Texas range rider ask for sherry over whiskey, except to experiment with an exotic beverage. There were other things, too, which did not fit the Kirby background once Ants turned up. Just who are you? Drew shrugged. That doesn't matter now. As the lieutenant and captain Bayless have pointed out, if my only proof is in Kentucky and out of reach. I suppose you have heard of telegraphs. Rennie's sarcasm was cold. Communication with Kentucky is not so impossible as you appear to think. You give me a name and an address, or names and addresses, and I'll do the rest. All you have to do is substantiate background and your army service, proving no possible contact with Kitchell. Then the captain will be forced to admit a mistake. Give Hunt Rennie the name of Cousin Meredith Barrett, of Aunt Mariana's husband, Major Forbes, the addresses of Red Spring or Oak Hill. Drew could not, while there was a chance that Ants might find the papers or make Johnny Shannon admit taking them. The Kentuckian could not tell Hunt Rennie who he was here and now. I want to talk to Ants, he said, out of his own thoughts. I've got to talk to Ants. He's gone. Rennie's two words did not make sense at first. When they did, Drew jumped up and caught at the bars. Gone? Where? Cleared out, got clean away. Again, Spath supplied the information. Or so they tell us. He went back to the stronghold after he broke through our lines. But when a patrol rode down to get him, he was gone. Why, Drew asked. Why pick him up? Why? Because he's in this too, Spath retorted. Probably rode straight to Kitchell's hideout. Now, Mr. Rennie, time's up. The captain authorized his visit because he thought you might just get something out of the prisoner. Well, you did. An admission he's been passing under a false name. We know what he is, a renegade horse thief. Drew was no longer completely aware of either man. But as Rennie turned away, he broke through the mist of confusion which seemed to be enclosing him more tightly than the walls of the cell. Shannon! Where's Shannon? Hunt Rennie's head swung around. What about Johnny? he demanded. He took my papers out of my belt. That was probably the worst thing he could do, to accuse Johnny Shannon without proof. What papers? And why should he want them? If Rennie had been remote before, now he was chill, as the Texas Northers ants had joked about. The parole, the horse papers, some letters. You saw him take them? You know why he should want them? Drew shook his head once. He could not answer the second question now. Then how do you know Johnny took them? How did he know? Drew could give no sane reason for his conviction that it had been Johnny's fingers which had looted the pockets of papers and stuffed leaves and grass in their place. 
You'll have to do better than that, kid, Spath laughed. You must have known Shannon was gone, too. By the time he's back from Mexico, he won't need to prove that that's a lie. Drew disregarded the lieutenant's comments. Rennie was the one who mattered, and in that moment the Kentuckian knew that he had made a fatal mistake. Why hadn't he agreed to telegraph Kentucky? Now there was no hope. As far as Don Cazar was concerned, one Drew Kirby could be written off the list. Drew had made an enemy of the very person he most wanted to convince. The Kentuckian swung around and walked to one small barred window through which he could see the sun. He walked blindly, trying not to hear those spurred boots moving out of the door, going away. End of chapter 13